This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. This weekend marks the 25th year of Taste of the Danforth. And in any other year, we would exclusively talk about how this festival is one of the most popular in North America. The amazing Greek food, the showcasing of culture, music and dance. But this year is also a year for reflection following last month's horrific mass shooting. Joining us now is Greektown BIA spokesperson Howard Lickman on the phone. Hi, Howard. Howard, you there? I am here. Okay, great. And also in studio with me here at the Zoomerplex, our security expert, Ross McLean. Hi, Ross. Good to be with you. Congratulations, Howard, on 25 years. That's really incredible. How are you feeling about that? Absolutely incredible. We're looking forward to the biggest and best ever. We're already the biggest festival in the country. In most ways, so taste is going to be like it is every year. I lived off the Danforth for 16 years, so uh, I know the experience well. And you either fully embrace it or you get out of town. Absolutely. We definitely have the crowds, and that's because of all the you know, family-friendly and affordable entertainment. And what's new? What are the favorites? Tell us what's new and, and what the favorites are. Well, I guess the old favorites are, I guess we've got three free entertainment stages, but we also have a sports zone that features Leafs, the Raptors, the Argos, Toronto FC, and Toronto Rock with activations and sort of, you know, the sports celebrities coming. This year's Hollywood on the Danforth, we've got Bohemian Rhapsody. We've got a tribute band on a celebrity stage, but we also have a karaoke competition. We've got a kid's fun zone. We have, hey, it's Greek. In part, we would call ourselves a multicultural festival with a dollop of tzatziki on top. Right. So we still have, you know, Greek plate breaking. So yeah. lots of fun stuff. Opa. And, you know, of course, uh, there's still, I have a lot of friends that still live off the Danforth. And uh, it's, it really is a solemn time in a lot of ways. How are you acknowledging last month's mass shooting? Well, um, we are having a special memorial service in advance of our official, you know, 21st uh, anniversary launch. We've also created a special memorial uh, area in front of St. Barnabas's church where uh, people can come and pay their, uh, their respects. And we've also created some special T-shirts and buttons, sort of Danforth Strong, Toronto Strong together. That's really the message. And the proceeds are going to go to the victims. What we don't want to do is a, you know, have a singular act of crazy violence define what the festival is about, what the city is about, or what the street's about. Well, and interestingly, uh, we had friends over who live on the Danforth last weekend, and they were the first thing they said was, you know, this could have happened anywhere, but it happened yeah. to happen on the Danforth. Yeah, absolutely. What about security? Is security increased as a result of what happened uh, or, or just as a, ma- a matter of course, because these days it's something we're thinking about a lot more? Well, so we always have a, have a security plan. We always have, you know, police command units uh, presence because in, in any event, anywhere, you want to make sure that everything is secure. As an extra precaution, uh, we have extra security, extra police this year uh, just to make sure that everybody feels safe and comfortable. 
Okay, Howard. Well, we wish you, I know you have to go. You're a busy guy in advance of the weekend, but we appreciate your time and we wish you all the best. Thank you very, very kindly. You, you guys are great supporters and, and we love being part of your family. Thank you so much. Howard Lickman, Greek Town BIA spokesperson, getting ready for the 25th taste of the Danforth this weekend. Uh, Ross, um, Howard spoke very briefly there about security. What can you add to what's going to be happening on the Danforth? Yeah, people can feel confident uh, going to the Danforth. I've I've worked with Toronto Police recently doing some planning where there were some fairly serious security threats. Uh, the police do not let anything slip. They have very specialized meetings. They bring in every resource they figure they need. So they'll have them all there. It's probably going to be the safest place to be, as a matter of fact, is on the Danforth in many ways. I guess any place in Toronto that has a huge festival, uh, I mean, I'm sure there was all kinds of security going on through the Caribbean Carnival weekend as well. It's the same kind of thing. Same kind of thing. That's a very spread out area. But the Listen, the police have their challenges today, you know, and interestingly enough, there was a poll that came out that said 50% of Torontonians are scared of going out to public squares and public places these days because of what has happened. And, you know, I certainly, as we've talked about here, people do need to take precautions. They need to use common sense, uh, know your surroundings, which is nowhere you can go to get out of the way in case a truck is coming down the road or shooting starts, know to have a plan to go. But as I said, I think the Danforth will be doing uh, just fine. There'll be there'll be lots of police and security presence there. It's going to be a beautiful weekend. You know, I was going to say, these guys, he has a hard job, right? Selling the Danforth. <laughs> like, you know, selling the Danforth is like selling ice cream. It's not that hard on a hot no, day, right? It's, it's a, not. It's going to be a beautiful time, but all the work they put into it, it'll be good. Absolutely. Um, the, the actual mass shooting happened on July 23rd. Um... Which ironically was what May, June, June, three months after the van street, uh, the van attack on Young Street. To the day, it was three months. Um, it's been a very tough year for Toronto and Toronto residents to digest all of this. But when I googled this morning, Danforth shooter investigation, the last date that it was in the news was July twenty sixth. Why are we not hearing more about the investigation into the deceased suspect? Well, there'll be a few reasons on that. One is because the police did are not... Did you just call me Libby? Did I? No, I don't think I did. <laughs> I thought you called me Libby. Maybe, okay, maybe, my, maybe I'm tripping over my tongue. But no, no, the, the reason why we haven't heard anything is because the police aren't talking. Every time I've been down to police headquarters, I ask the media people, when's the next update on this? And they tell me, oh, nothing planned, nothing scheduled. And me, in my own humble way, said to them, I think that's a mistake. I think people want to hear what's going on. Yes. And they just kind of look at me because, uh, you know, in many ways, I get a sense that this investigation, as much as we're saying it's led by the Toronto police, led by the Toronto police, but I'm going to say stood upon probably by the federal government and the federal agencies about what is being said and what is not being said. And there's a lot not being said. How can that be, though? I mean... Chief Mark Saunders always says that when we have information, we want to release it to the public. We want people to be informed. So holding back information, presumably, would be to to keep us safe. Is that sort of the thought process behind that? Because why else wouldn't you want people to be informed? Well, there's... There's political reasons why you don't want people to be informed. You know, there's uh, we've already had, uh, you know, our, our federal politicians have got a big stake in this not being any sort of problem or any way perceived to be in any sort of problem that would have to do with immigration, ISIS, border security, terrorism, uh, whether or not they missed the ball or they are or what the story is. So there's a big uh, 
lots of reasons I can see for not talking about it. There's lots of reasons I can see. In terms of uh, the forensic analysis of the deceased suspect's computer, um, right away we were hearing that they're going to be able to find lots of information from his computer, the websites he was visiting, etc., etc. That seems like a no-brainer. That seems like even if there was no information and he was just on the Internet like everybody else. Correct. The one thing I always say and I always stress is you can let out objective information, not subjective information. So, for instance, you can say, yes, we got his computer. Yes, we went through his computer. No, he didn't go to ISIS sites. Yes, he did go to... I mean, those are things that don't change with time. You know, you could say, had he traveled to uh, Afghanistan or Pakistan before within the last five years? That's a yes or no. That's objective. That's not going to change. That's not open to to somebody having an interpretation about it. So there's lots of objective information they could give out. We're not even getting the objective information. We don't have the names of every one of the victims yet. We don't have the wounds on every one of the victims yet. And let me tell you, that will tell you something. For instance, if you've got, uh, I mean, we've been told a range from, what, 10 to 52. We don't know that there's not another 11-year-old or someone out there uh, that's injured. We just know there's a range. We don't know that the wounds are accidental, bounced off a building and hit them, or they were shot, put down to the ground, and a gun put right up against them and multiple shots fired into them. That would certainly tell us something about uh, the intent or how the shooting was carried out as opposed to just a wild person shooting. So there's lots of information that could be given out that's not being given out. And uh, I really, quite frankly, uh, question that. Do you expect that to change? I mean, at some point, you and I are having this conversation. Others are having this conversation publicly and privately about that frustration that we feel like we're being left in the dark. Certainly, there's got to be some kind of update soon. I've seen nothing from, uh, lack of a better way of saying it, mainstream media doing any hounding or questioning on any of the officials who are involved in this about getting the answers for this. We haven't seen it. You know, and, and let me tell you, one of the big concerns about this is the fact that the brother of the shooter lived in a home with a guy that had 42 kilograms of carfentanil. Now, that comes from China. That's Many places consider that to be the same as a chemical weapon or a nerve agent. It is so deadly. That was in the possession of the brother's shooter. And there's, there's, there's just other information we don't have. Like, here's something that has not been reported. I'll give you this one. Uh, on the Friday, Friday the 20th, uh, just before the shooting took place on the 22nd of the night, ISIS, from their website, put out a call for a biological attacks on the West. They put out that call for biological attacks. They actually listed how to do different biological attacks. Now, they didn't talk about carfentanil, but they talked about airborne diseases and things that could be spread. That was on the Friday before the shooting. The Friday night, uh, right in the neighborhood, outside where the shooter lived, multiple gunshots were fired off outside that house. The police went and attended, found all the shell casings, but uh, no reason for why it was done. Was that the shooter? Did the shell casings match? Uh, That would be something to check out we'd know about. Uh, We're not hearing about that. Uh, We had the shooter go off on the the Sunday. Uh, Police sources, reliable sources, have said the guy has had like seven magazines that he had, and he's died with three of them still in his pouch. So there was a real plan. There's just so much that we need to know. Yes. We need to know. And, And I'm just as anxious to hear it 
if it puts it out of the realm, if they can say, no, he never traveled, no, uh, CSIS never interviewed him, no, he never, come out on the record and say that. That absolutely helps as well. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. We're going to continue our conversation here with Ross McLean, our security expert on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back, to talk about Premier Ford's $25 million announcement to crack down on guns and gangs. What do you think? Mayor Tory says he likes it. Uh, we've got Chief Saunders saying he likes it. I know Ross tweeted about it this morning that he likes it. What do you think? Is that going to make a difference? Give us a call. We'll take a quick break. 416-360-0740. Toll-free 1-866-744-740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby returns a week from today. She's enjoying a summer vacation. Here in the studio with me is Ross McLean, our security expert. And we're still talking about violence in Toronto, a little bit there about the investigation or the lack of information around the investigation into the Danforth shooting. Now, the recent spike in gun violence in Toronto and how to reduce that. Premier Doug Ford made an announcement this morning for $25 million in new funding to crack down on bail offenders and to equip police with the tools that they need. No one better than our security expert, Ross McLean, to break this down for us. Explain how that money gets divvied up, what it gets used for, how it does good, whether it's the, whether it's the right thing to do. Well, let me tell you why it's the right thing to do. I've been going to homicide shooting scenes around this city for the last number of years, and this this year in particular, especially where the police officer was shot and his bulletproof vest saved him, uh, bullet-resistant vest saved him from doing it. And I've listened to Mark Saunders very closely say, uh, I want to put the emphasis on those who have their fingers on the trigger. He's not calling it gun violence. I mean, he has to play the politics a little bit, but he's saying very clearly, I want the emphasis on those who have their fingers on the trigger. He has also said, I want to see it tightened up at either end. He started using the phrase, I noticed this, because I listen pretty closely, much like you do, Jane, when you do your interviews. He started using the term, he's tired of the catch and release justice system. He says, that's the police can't do everything. We need our other partners to come together to do this. And I'm pleased to hear that... Uh, the premier listened to him here with these two announcements. These weren't political announcements uh, for the sake of sounding like you're doing something. These are real announcements that are going to make a real difference to the cops on the street. I guarantee it. They're all doing the the fist bump behind the scenes, the really? cops and everything else, because they're listening to what the chief asked for. And, and that's a whole lot different than what the politicians want to say and talk about. Okay, now explain for us how that funding will actually crack down on bail offenders. What does that mean in layman's terms? Okay, so anybody who knows anything about the gangs and, and, and the gun offenders, they don't care about the bail courts. It's a joke for them. In fact, they've got rhymes in some of the jails that they sing them out waiting for a certain judge because that's the judge that will give you bail. Like, they, they'll know which judges are coming up for bail. And their lawyers will say, ah, you got to stay in another week until we get someone else up. This person won't let you out, right? So they know how to do that. Also, I talked to a very, very senior cop who, who I would, one of those ones you would go, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, you know, you'd, you'd to them. That's how good they are at their job and what they know. And I said to them, what do you think about just toughening bail conditions? What is toughening bail conditions going to do? And he looked at me, looked down at me, because he was a big guy, <laughs> rolled his eyes and said, Ross, he said, that won't make a, 
uh, any difference at all. These guys don't care about bail conditions. They'll break every rule that's going. You can make any rule you want. They don't care. And I'm like, okay. So what the, what the premier did today was he didn't say we're going to toughen bail conditions. He said, I'm hiring a special team of bail compliance officers that I'm going to be on top of these people. Because I can tell you, I don't have the numbers at my hands here, but the number of people out on bail and parole in this city, if you were to see it, it would absolutely shock you, the number of people that are out there. And the, and the fact that no one's checking up on them. It's basically the honor system. So by having this special team, when these bad guys do get out and get their bail, they're going to be watched. Ah, And so the officers who are watching them are they on other detail now, or are we hiring more officers to deal specifically with that element? Well, we didn't get to those specifics. Okay. We didn't hear the answers to those questions, and I think those are important answers. Uh, we need to have them, because the cops want to know. Like, look at the, uh, these cops. They run around, they arrest these bad guys. They take them, they, they lock them up, they go to court, and then they see them get out, and they see them running around the next day, and they're off committing crimes, and they know it. Uh, every one of the major drug busts that I've been down at uh, police headquarters to listen to, Jane, every one of them, the guys they announced that they've arrested for it, every one of them was out on, just just about every one of them, at least 75% was already out on bail or parole or did federal time before. They don't care about this stuff. So the cops know that this is going to make a difference. There's going to be a, a special prosecutor there that uh, Ms. Moroni said is going to be in the office. She's going to make sure that the prosecutor's are making sure they promote the bail correctly, they get the right conditions on it, then that will go to the bail enforcement unit, and the, that whole little loop will tie it together tighter to have better supervision on these recidivist, and I'm telling you, cold-blooded gangsters. And equipping police with the tools they need, so that specifically is what? What tools do they need? I mean, you've got the officers now who are going to be watching the offenders, the bail offenders, but what, what are we talking about in terms of tools? Well, he's going to let the chief decide that. Okay. And once again, on, on, the, on the sounds of silence from the chief, and on this one, I'm not blaming him because it is about protecting us. We've got these officers working forced overtime now, and we notice that the homicide shootings have gone down. There's been some still some shots ringing out around the city, make no mistake. But I will guarantee you, well, I won't guarantee you, that's too strong a word. I will bet that the police are doing all the things that we want the police to do all the time. But if someone said it publicly, they'd be called um, racist or, or something else for doing the work. So you're saying because it was a very active July with gun violence, things appear to be settling down. Uh, so that's not the, just a fluke? Like what is going on? Well, the lid is on the pressure cooker pot. The cops are standing on these people, and they're, ex- and they're going after some of them now, and they're popping them, whereas they might have followed them a little bit further up the food chain before. Now, now surprise, surprise, we're seeing lots of arrests and guns, guns coming off the streets because the police are told, hey, go get them. They're going to go get them. But normally what happens is the police aren't told go get them. They're told, no, no, don't, uh, you know, over-police a neighborhood. I mean, good God, I know women who are in... Toronto housing, who get bullets that go through their windows. They hide their children in the bathtubs at night if they hear a noise. Let me tell you, they're not going to tell you this place is over-policed. They're going to say, if I go out and say it, the gangsters that are allowed to live in Toronto community housing will come flash the butt of a gun at me or threaten my children. They'll tell you that. So... You know, I think the city needs to do some work to clean up the TCHC and the problems that are in there. That's something the city can do. And you, you speak about these mothers uh, with their children in Toronto community housing. Uh, you know, the other part of this is is making sure that their youngsters don't get involved in these gangs. Are we seeing any real tactics, long-term strategies to deal with the gangsters of the future to make sure they become good citizens of the future? Yeah. Two really separate problems. They're connected. I'm going to 
I don't like making these sort of analogies. I'm going to make it this way. The gangsters are like a tumorous cancer that's going to kill the body. You've got to cut them out and get them out of there. The dealing with the children to make sure they don't get involved further down the line is a sole separate set of skills and operations and things to do. But you can't raise your kids properly. They, they can't go to school knowing that every other kid in school is carrying a knife. Some are carrying a gun. How are you supposed to do your homework? When, when you know that as I run the gauntlet leaving school, and we all had that when we were growing up, maybe it was because you're going to get beat up or someone's going to pull your hair or a guy would hit you with construction boots. Now these kids are worried about knives and getting stabbed and carrying their own knives and hanging around in groups. So we have to get the violent perpetrators out from amongst the, the community that wants to learn, live, and grow. And I think they deserve that. And I think we should be delivering that. Some of our listeners, Ross, want to ask you questions or offer their comments on uh, the, the funding that was announced today at Queen's Park for $25 million to help crack down on guns and gangs. Let's go to Colin in Toronto. Colin, go ahead. Yes, hello. Um, what we haven't been told is um, <clears throat> the, the origin of the firearm used in the Danforth shooting. Um, uh, you know, it was, it could have entirely been smuggled into this country. Throwing $25 million to the Metro Police is a waste of time. They should be using that money to patrol the borders along the St. Lawrence River in Ontario and the St. Lawrence River in Quebec. Because Ross knows and I know that firearms have been smuggled in from the states across that border for decades. And I would like to get Joel Abram, the Grand Chief, to invest to investigate his reservations, because that's where these firearms are being stashed. They're being traded for alcohol and cigarettes for firearms, and it's been going on for decades, and it's got okay, so the problem. Okay, l- so let me make the segue on this, Jane. So to that, to go back to where the gun originated, there is a big issue with guns and drugs coming across our border. The guns are here because the drugs are here. So there is a federal requirement to this to do their end on the other side of it. Provincially, policing is a provincial uh, uh, responsibility here in Ontario, so they will do what they can do. But the borders are federal. So the federal government has to look after uh, sealing up those parts. Now, our police departments here do a lot of work with the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, the FBI, and other agencies to make the arrests they make here. But yeah, the guns coming in here are the problem. But I'll tell you, before it's the guns, it's the drugs. Huge, huge numbers of dollars flowing in uh, illegal, for illegal drugs. Well, that was some of the information we had uh, as journalists here in the city in the, in the hours, the day or two after the Danforth shooting. Was all of there was there was a lot of information flowing in the early hours about that gun originating from the U.S. and the connection with the deceased suspect and his brother to activity in in Manitoba. Like, we were getting a lot of information. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of sort of also deceptive information put out, like saying things like, and this is not to your point exactly, I'm going to jump off that a little bit, saying, oh, well, the guns originated from the U.S. or something like that, or from legal guns. Almost all the guns originate from the U.S. That's where guns are made, right? Around the world, most so many guns originate from the U.S. You know, but the issue there is that was, once again, supposedly his brother was involved in drug dealing. The gun was stolen uh, in Saskatoon and ended up uh, back in his hands here for doing the shooting. But once again, the place where the carfentanol was found, that guy had 33 Glocks. Uh, you know, sitting there. So it's a small arsenal, a small arsenal for what it was. So we do need to find out where those guns and how they came across. And I would be willing to say now that there is basically a pipeline for guns to get up here because I've never seen uh, so many handguns. These are semi-auto handguns that are up here. Uh, 
Ross, I, I really get the sense that uh, law enforcement politicians uh, are playing catch up to a situation that's started to get out of control. Can we rein it back in? I mean, is it it's it's never too late, obviously, but are we doing the right things, at least initially and in terms of long term strategy to get a handle on the changing dynamic, not only in Toronto, but in other major cities across Canada? You know, we can. But we have to have the political will to do it. And we need to take someone like uh, Chief Mark Saunders, who knows the continuum of this, of where it starts and how it goes along, that we can get the federal agencies working together, that we can tie all this up. Because it's, um, it's a select number of uh, organized crime that's doing all this. So we can target them and go after them, put the resources on it. I mean, when I was at uh, police headquarters a couple of weeks ago, they just did that one bus with all the heroin and everything. There was guns, heroin, cocaine, everything all across the table. It was the Asian organized crime gang that took it down. I asked the detective there, I said, you didn't describe these guys as low, medium or high level on the drug food chain. He looked medium level. Hmm. And this was all of these drugs that were going out that, by the way, are causing us to have problems with opioid overdoses, causing people to see the homeless people we see, causing all of the human trafficking that we're seeing going on, seeing the people who are walking around cities obviously in distress with drugs who are turned into to being sex traffickers in order to support their habits. So there's a lot of secondary and tertiary effects from these drugs and guns uh, that are coming in here that we, I, we really need to stop. And just a final question. Uh, we just have a minute left. Uh, Mayor Tory's call for a handgun ban in Toronto. Your thoughts? Well, the easiest way to say it, I believe that the Premier said it today. He goes down to Chicago a lot. There's a handgun ban on in Chicago, and 70-odd people were just shot in Chicago this weekend. So that's to me, that's a hashtag I care. I, I prefer seeing things like we're doing now that is real enforcement to go after these really bad guys. That's what the police need now. And trust me, once you get rid of the main tumor, the rest of the body starts to heal pretty quick. And I'm very sorry for using that analogy. I don't like to do it. Uh, I just want to see our community get healthier before this, as you said, overtakes us and the police are playing catch Yeah, I think it's it's a great analogy. Don't need to be sorry for that. (laughs) Thank you, Ross. Always great to have you here. Thank you. Security expert Ross McLean, Jane for Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.